0: Hello, my name's Dr. Paul Wheatley-Price, a medical oncologist and president of Lung Cancer Canada. Welcome to our podcast series called Lung Cancer Voices. In this series of podcasts, I'm interviewing patients, caregivers, healthcare professionals, some of the leading lung cancer researchers in the country, indeed in the world, to highlight important and relevant issues facing those affected by lung cancer. On part two of this special episode series, We continue to discuss promising new research presented at the 2020 annual american society of clinical oncology meeting and the 2020 international association for the study of lung cancer world conference on lung cancer presidential symposium i'm joined by three internationally renowned medical oncologists and this discussion first aired as a live webinar which we've split into two podcasts and you're now listening to part two if you've not already listened to part one we do suggest you go back and listen to that one first And we hope you find them both informative. Um, Let's switch gears for the next uh, 15 minutes or so before we get to question and answer. So we've covered these three areas: EGFR, ALK, and and now this novel HER2. But for people who don't have, who have lung cancer but don't have these particular subtypes, uh, there's been this big revolution in the last five years of using immunotherapy uh, drugs with some amazing effects and long-term control, and sometimes immunotherapy on its own and and sometimes uh with chemotherapy or after chemotherapy and and lots of questions about this so we're going to discuss two studies uh with um immunotherapy and so sanjay why don't we stay with you with this study which has provoked quite a lot of debate amongst the professional community this 9la study could you could you describe that
1: yeah, so this is, this is a, a trial called Checkmate 9LA, which is looking at uh, using double immunotherapy together with a brief episode of double chemotherapy uh, and then letting the double immunotherapy do, do the work. So in this trial, um, the investigators took um, patients with newly diagnosed metastatic disease and randomly allocated them to either four cycles of chemotherapy Now, remember, that's chemotherapy. And these days, we tend not to use just chemotherapy. We tend to use chemo plus immuno or immuno alone. But in in the time when the trial was set up, that was considered to be reasonable. Or they were evaluating the new cocktail. And the new cocktail is two cycles of chemo together with double immunotherapy on the two cycles of chemo is just so you know that the, the chemo is by and large going to get on top of the cancer prevent things from getting out of control release a few new antigens into the immune system to let the immunotherapy then mop that all up and activate the uh, immune system and uh, get the immune system doing all the work and then those patients then had double immunotherapy long term uh, every three weeks with drugs called either nivolumab or low-dose ipilimumab. And the trial was a positive trial. I mean, the survival for patients with the combination chemo and double immunotherapy, they did live about 35% longer, relatively speaking, compared to those that had just the chemotherapy. And interestingly, you know, pdl one which we've been using as a biomarker test to see who should benefit, you know, didn't really predict uh, who should benefit the most because everybody benefited regardless of whether the PDO was very strong or moderate or even negative. So undoubtedly this will get licensed, I think, and then we'll have a question in our paradigm. You know, do we use chemo? Do we use chemo immunotherapy? Do we use immunotherapy? Do we use double immunotherapy in the US where that's approved? Or do we use everything up front? Double chemotherapy for a brief period and double immunotherapy, and that, and that's got you know a lot of a uh, lot of us oncologists debating.
0: It's quite an imaginative study, isn't it? I, I should tell you, I'm on I'm on vacation at the moment. I've just set up a zip line for my kids. You wonder where I'm going with this analogy, but uh, when I think of nine LA, you know, my kids aren't really tall enough to get to the top of the zip line. Um, so i sometimes think that the immunotherapy is the zip line that's going to take them to their destination of cancer control. But for a really better experience on the zip line, they need a bit of a push from me to get them going. And that's that chemo is that kind of initial push and then let the zip line or the immunotherapy do the work. But the problem with, I think what you identified at at the beginning, which was this was compared to people having chemotherapy alone and we don't do that anymore. We now give people chemotherapy plus immunotherapy anyway. So is there any way that you can sense, is it better than what we're now doing? It's only better than what we were doing.
1: It's tough. You know, it's only better than what we were doing. But if you're looking at what we are doing, we're having to make comparisons between trials. And whenever we do that, it's always problematic because you never quite get the same group of patients. Now, if you look at the outcomes uh, for double immunotherapy with chemotherapy, the Checkmate 9LA, compared to what you're getting with either Pembro monotherapy or Pembro with chemo, the outcomes are pretty much the same.
0: Pembrolizumab or Keytruda for those people listening. That's right.
1: Yeah. That's right. The outcomes are pretty much the same. So we know that the double chemotherapy with double immunotherapy has a reasonable amount of side effects. I mean, 35% of people had really quite serious uh, side effects with this. Uh, So... You know, you know, where does that fit in to to what we have uh, available? The outcomes seem very similar to what we're already using. I guess you know, for some people, they may not want to have long-term chemotherapy as part of the combination of chemoimmunotherapy, and perhaps for that group of people, this sort of short, sharp chemo shock. With a view to then the double immunotherapy thereafter uh, might be beneficial. But, you know, maybe we just haven't followed up these patients for long enough because the double immunotherapy has a drug called ipilimumab. And one of the benefits from ipilimumab is longer term survival. And really, we've only seen what happens to these patients for a relatively short period of time. So maybe the magnitude of difference with this double immunotherapy might become clearer over a longer period of time. I, I look forward to see what other people think on the panel.
0: Well, Roz, you know, when I have a, a case that I'm struggling with and it involves immunotherapy, I think most of us in the country tend to email you and ask for your input as as our sort of national immunotherapy guru. Um what's your what's your thoughts on this?
2: Um so I, I think when I when I look at nine LA, um I, I look at it in in conjunction with the 227 trial that really just looked at the double immunotherapy alone, and I think of 9LA as the mechanism by which we get past that potential dip in uh, people who struggle in those beginning few months. Um, we actually, Paul, as you well know, were the, the first in the world to look at this type of combination with double chemotherapy, double immunotherapy, and showed it was safe. People thought we were crazy um, trying to combine quad therapy here. And we showed that we were able to do it quite successfully. And uh, so when I'm looking at patients, especially those who are low pdl one expressors, um, I'm actually really excited about this combination. Um, so I do think it's something that will fit into our Canadian context, assuming that the health technology asso- assessment goes well Um, So I think it gives us another option uh, that potentially spares chemotherapy, because I can tell you, keeping maintenance Pemetrexid going for two years beats you up. Um, And it's a kind and gentle drug, don't get me wrong, but these people get renal insufficiency, they get fatigue, and then we never know what it is, and then we have to play games around it. So it's kind of nice to have a straightforward immunotherapy-only maintenance schedule. Um, and we saw this back in the days of Checkmate 12 when we did those first uh, combinations of nivolumab with chemotherapy. Um, and I had patients who were cured with the strategy. Um, cured as in they lived for five years and died of other things. Um, so I'm I'm super excited.
0: Okay. Yes, I think that you're right. That long-term chemotherapy that we use, is that would be my bumpy zip line, which would give you a bit of a jolt down the road. <laughs> Whereas a nice smooth zip line just with the uh, with immunotherapy alone, for most people, we know, of course, all of these drugs, and some people will will, will cause side effects. Let's move on to another immunotherapy study, um, and we're going to come back to breakfast time in California for this one. Um, so, Dr. Reese, um, Cityscape is a study where now there's new immunotherapy drugs, new new classes of immunotherapy drugs that that are um, being studied, and this was one of the early ones. Can you uh, tell us about
3: Cityscape? Oh, I'd love to. I, th- I think it's a really exciting trial and a really exciting class of drugs. So I, um, you know, you, um, folks, folks on this podcast just heard about the, um, you know, nivolumab and ipilimumab combining a PD one and, and CTLA four uh, dual immune checkpoint blockade, and so this drug. Um, Tirogolimab is a TIGIT antibody, and TIGIT is a a novel inhibitory receptor that's expressed on many immune cells, particularly T cells and NK cells. And so um, what TIGIT does, it inhibits T cells and NK cells. Um, by binding to on um, tumor cells, this this ligand called PVR, um, similar to the inhibit you know inhibitory interaction that happens between PD one and pdl one, and uh, you know PD one a- a- and um, and digit expression are, are, are closely associated. And so um, this Cityscape trial took a look in the first line setting where you know previously we talked about nine LA and nivolumab and ipilimumab and pembrolizumab alone, and they took patients who had PDL1 expression of, of 1% or more that were first line, that were treatment naive, and they were randomized to the PDL1. Jonathan, ant- so just to interrupt, so PDL1
0: more than 1%, just give us <laughs> an idea, that represents yep. about two, thir- two thirds of lung cancer
3: patients? Yep, about two thirds. Yep. Okay. Um, and and, um, and patients were randomized to the PDL1 antibody, a um and placebo versus a ab and this. Um, this TIGIT antibody tiragolumab, And um, it, it um, showed some really interesting and exciting data. Um, so, the, so the response rate, so the rate of getting good tumor shrinkage was almost doubled, 31% versus 16% with the pdl one antibody alone. Uh, and particularly for those pdl one high patients, the ones with 50% or more, where the standard um, is... Pembrolizumab, also called Keytruda, alone, the combination um, was, uh, response rate was 66% versus, with the combination versus 24%. So, I mean, 66% is, um, is pretty striking. Um, I, I would highlight, they, they used the tezolizumab, which is also approved for lung cancer. But if you look at the Keynote 24 study, which looked at pembrolizumab and pdl one high, which is our standard of care being 50% or more, the response rate was about 45%. So, um, you know, this is a small number of trial, but 66% versus 24 is a, is a big difference. And, um, and progression-free survival, once again, the time for the cancer to meaningfully grow was also greatly improved with the combination um, and and um, there was it was pretty it was very well tolerated the, the there were similar side effects in the combination versus the single uh, versus the atezolizumab alone so this is being studied in a host of t- trials in combination with PDL1 Antibodies. These class of drugs are being combined with PD one and PD L one antibodies. I think, you know, it's a, it's a really exciting combination. You know, there's a there's a ton of clinical trials out there with immunotherapy combinations. And, you know, I, I kind of sometimes when I talk to my patients, I, I kind of mention it's one of my favorite movies is Forrest Gump. And there's a great scene with Forrest and Bubba talking about shrimp recipes. And it's almost like that with a lot of these PD-1 combination trials where there's all these combinations, but, th- you know, with varying degrees of rationale behind them. But this one really makes a lot of sense. And it's got some really exciting early data. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing additional data um, with these drugs. And I, I think um, I, I think it's an exciting combination with the caveat that pembrolizumab alone and PD-L1 high, the response rate was, was better than what... They reported here with the and Avalon. but once again, small numbers. It, it, it's hard to say, but I think it's very exciting. All
0: right. Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah, and uh, anyone else want to jump in on on the other immune um, immunotherapy options or or the future of immunotherapy with things like Tigit? Sanjay, do
1: you want to have? Yeah, I mean, any I think uh, I I was really excited as, actually as, as, as Jonathan's explained with that data, and I think uh, inhibiting Tigit has been proved as a as a, um, uh, a a real way forward. And I think what we really need to do is to get the readout of these trials. But um, it was very exciting early data, um, but it was proof of principle. You know, switching off Tigit seems to seems to work, and um, you know, really look forward to those trials as they read out.
2: I think we're all hunting for that holy grail of a non-chemotherapy combo, yeah. right? That's why we were excited about Nevo-Ipi is focusing yeah. on trying to get the immune system. We're excited about tidget uh, Atizo because it, again, maybe gives us a way forward for a larger group of patients to yeah. not have to get chemo. Yeah. Um, not that chemo is not useful. Not that chemo not good too. But um, if we can save those cards for later on down the path and not use all of our Agents straight yep. up front. It it provides possible benefit. Right.
0: Well, thank you all for that. We're going to move to some questions in a moment. But just before I hand it back to Christina, maybe I could just I was just going to uh, steal the steal the limelight for a minute or two because there's a, some other studies which I just thought I'd mention at this point. Uh, Roz, you just mentioned uh, the holy grail of having uh, immunotherapy alone and being able to spare people chemotherapy. So there was an important study uh, just in the in the presidential symposium. Uh, well lung for for patients with mesothelioma. So this is the lining of the lung, the pleura uh, cancer of the lining um, related to asbestos exposure. In fact, I'm I'm on the webinar here in the Eastern townships in Quebec, which is where the Canadian asbestos mines uh, were active until not that long ago. And in fact, the town of asbestos is not that far from where I am now. Anyway, um, combination immunotherapy with nivolumab and ipilimumab, you've heard these names before, uh, Seem to be much better than chemotherapy alone in in mesothelioma. Um, Forty percent, forty-one percent of people alive after two years of treatment versus twenty-seven percent who'd had chemotherapy in in, in a disease which is is difficult to treat. Um, Conversely, at ASCO, we, we in small cell lung cancer, you know, there's been a number of studies looking at chemotherapy plus immunotherapy. And the latest one was the pembrolizumab plus chemo, called the CheckMate 604 study, which, which didn't meet its target, and uh, although it looked like it was a bit better than chemo, not not sufficiently so. Um, so there are some immunotherapy things going along, and then just again last weekend in at uh, the at the World Lung Conference, there's another immunotherapy drug that's now coming on the market from from China. Uh, it's called Cintilimab, and it's a bit like pembrolizumab. Um, or, uh, or nivolumab. It's that same class of drugs. And when it was added to chemotherapy, it did a lot better than chemotherapy alone. Uh, whether that's just another variety of cornflakes um, or or something more, we'll, we'll wait to see. But there is other stuff out. There. There's some really neat time. I mean, the last few years have been full of really exciting data in lung cancer. Um, so thank you for those presentations. Christina, um, are you? I don't see you. There you are. Yeah. So I think you've been gathering questions.
4: Have and questions have been coming in uh, throughout this entire presentation. And so, why don't we start and see if we can get to as many of them as possible? Thank you so much to the panelists. Um, our first question is really was right off the bat when we were talking about the DORA study. And it's really great that uh, 80% have a chance of disease free survival. But what they're, we're, they're wondering, what about the other 20%? What if you happen to be the 20% that relapsed? And what are you going to get if you are become stage four? Are you still going to have a chance at the
1: trastuzumab? So, uh, I mean, I think that's the that that's the key issue because if those patients have relapsed on the osimertinib, uh, then it doesn't make any sense to carry on the osimertinib. So traditionally. We would be thinking about a chemo-based regime for those. But increasingly, more and more, we want to understand what's changed in their biology. So these patients would ultimately need either a liquid biopsy or a tissue biopsy and then send that for gene sequencing to find out what's changed in their tumor. Is there something else that's um, now upregulated, a new gene mutation that we can drug? We don't have any data for um, what happens to those patients from Adora. I mean, this data is hot off the press, so I think that's one of the things that all of us on this on this webinar are looking forward to. You know, what what is the mechanisms of resistance? Are they different to what we already know because we're using osimertinib in a new setting?
0: Maybe I could follow up, Sanjay. There are, there is some data on mechanisms of resistance to osimertinib in people who are receiving it for advanced disease. Yep. Um, do you? Um, you want to comment on that and maybe? Yeah, well, speculate. you know, we
1: we 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 see that there are a variety of different resistance mechanisms in patients who are using in the first line setting in advanced disease. So, if you have advanced disease, which is EGFR mutation positive, and the first drug you get is osimertinib, and then relapse, there are a number of different activation pathways that we see. The commonest one of which is uh, MET amplification. And if you see amplification, there are a number of very good met-specific drugs which are now either in development or in the case of the US, uh, approved for use, albeit in a slightly different uh, uh, setting. So we have uh, capmatinib, we have tipotinib, and we have savolitinib, and of course we have good old chrysotinib as well, uh, which also has got uh, activity. Uh, now, will these resistance mechanisms be the same in the early setting? We don't know. Uh, and that, I think, is something that we're all very much looking forward to. Okay. Christina? Yeah.
4: The, next, the next question is about insartinib. So we, uh, the trial results were great, but when we think forward to HTA, some of our patients are asking, well, why was insartinib tested against chrysotinib versus electinib? Because we know when we get to our uh, health technology assessment in Canada, that will be a question that they'll be asking.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, with ALK being as uncommon as it is, it takes a while to accrue these clinical trials. So the Insartinib clinical trial actually finished its accrual in November of 2018. So all of these trials were set up, Crown for lorlatinib, Alta1L for Brigatinib, and Exalt3, back when Electinib wasn't standard of care. chrysotinib was our standard. Um, And it takes long enough to accrue. And these people, God bless them, live long enough. They have the audacity to live, right? So these people, when you're living to a median of over two years, it takes a long time to get that result. Um, So, you know, we wish we could go back to a crystal ball and say, oh, poof, I wish I had known that Electinib was going to become the standard of care and I would have used that as my control. But that's not where we were at that point.
0: Actually, I think, Roz, isn't it the, the average survival for ALK lung cancer now is, is four or five years yeah. plus? I mean, it's really that spectacular, was from, actually.
2: That was from uh, the original 1014 trial, profile 1014. Yeah. The median for people who even got good old preglotinib is 45 months. Like, it just brings us joy. Like, I, I, it brings me joy, let's put it that way, to see that aspect of a type of lung cancer.
0: And there's recent US data, I think just in the last week or so, overall in lung cancer, showing a big hike in survival in lung cancer in the last few years because of the um, immunotherapy and, and uh, these targeted drugs. Um, so it's a good time. Uh, well, it's never a good time to have lung cancer. I, I don't mean to be flippant, but uh, it's, a, it's, it's... If you have uh, to have lung, cancer, it, the have the to have lung cancer, there is a ton of options now that we never used to have. Christina?
4: So what do we tell our HTA when this question comes back? What do we tell our HTA bodies, like, oh, you know, this was the study was not done in, against electinib, which is now the standard of care, so we don't, there's a lot of uncertainty we can't evaluate.
2: Well, I, I, I think at the end of the day, this comes down to physicians and patients want a choice. Um, so no different than women with breast cancer can choose amongst several aromatase inhibitors for hormone suppression. Um, Physicians and patients should be able to choose between several ALK inhibitors that look to have similar efficacy. Um, You're not supposed to cross trial compare, but we can never help ourselves. And the median progression-free survival looks pretty on par for electinib, uh, brigatinib, and sartanib. Um, So I, I think that's enough information for me to talk to patients about. And then it becomes about quality of life, number of tablets you have to swallow, what side effects you might get. And it also allows you to pivot. So let's say I start with one drug and I get lots of swelling, or I start on a drug and my blood pressure goes up and it's not so easy to control. Then I can pivot to another drug because I have an alternative option. Um, If I don't have alternative options,
4: then my hands are tied and, and, and that's not good. So I'm just going to put a little bit of a plug in here for all the patients that are listening and all the caregivers that are listening because Lung Cancer Canada has a voice and is working with uh, the clinicians and patients on every uh, uh, health technology assessment in Canada. And we make a submission every single time and we really do need your voices because as we've shown with many of the submissions, our voices have made a big difference and have tilted tilted the balance and gotten us positive recommendations so whenever we call make out that call to action for, for you guys we really encourage and need your voice to help support the submission uh, moving forward um, we have a question here and perhaps maybe uh, Dr. Reese can take a take, take this question is that immunotherapy is not working well uh, has not, shown to not work well for those with targeted therapies any new research in this area for those uh, for, for our listeners who are uh, in that area
3: So that's a great really good question. You know, we're, what we've learned about lung cancer is, you know, not one size fits all. And in patients, particularly with a lot of these lung cancer oncogene driven mutations like EGFR and ALK, um, that although we've got great benefit to targeted therapies, really, they have pretty minimal benefit to immunotherapy. Um, and even com- looking at large studies, for example, EGFR, um, you know, in the second line studies with just second line chemo, combining all the studies, the immunotherapy wasn't shown to be better, where in more smoking-associated lung cancers, high PDL one you know, dramatic benefit. And even in these oncogene-driven lung cancers, even when pdl one is high, the benefit still is typically minimal. Um, so there is a lot of interest in trying to find ways to, to boost the um, activity of these drugs. Um, I typically use them as standard of care in much later lines of therapy. I think the one thing that has come out is um, this regimen called the Empower 150 regimen. It's uh, chemotherapy with with two drugs called carboplatin and paclitaxel, along with a drug called Bevacizumab that strangles the blood vessels that feed the tumor. It's a VEGF antibody. And it's added to that What's added is that pdl one antibody atezolizumab, the one we talked about in, in the previous Cityscape study. And so those four drugs in the subset of patients with EGFR mutant lung cancer, the response rate was very high. It was about 71%. And the progression-free survival was also very good. The time it takes um, uh, you know, the, the tumor to, to, meaningfully, to meaningfully grow while people are on treatment. Um, and so, um, you know, that is a a regimen that I use in those patients. Um, I would just say it was only a small group of patients and it wasn't what the trial intended to study, but it's really all we have to hang our hat on right now for immunotherapy treatment uh, in EGFR and, and, and Alk, and you know, you could extrapolate to similar other tumor types where it seems to have some efficacy. And it's mostly driven, you know, when they just got the chemo and the immunotherapy, that benefit wasn't observed. So it's really that interaction between strangling the v- blood vessels in the immune microenvironment and the immunotherapy that seems to drive it. But once again, it's, it's small numbers. It's being studied in larger trials that we need to see the results. But right now, clinically, it's really all we have to hang our hat on.
2: Paul, oh, can, I, can I chime in? Yeah, uh, please do. Yeah, just from, uh, so from the Canadian perspective, um, we actually did a healthcare technology assessment just specifically on this group of patients um, with the thought that this was an unmet medical need for what do we do after TKIs in our EGFR and ALK patients. Um, and unfortunately, again, because the study wasn't designed to look at the specific mm-hmm. question and with the small numbers, um, it did not get approved for, for use in Canada. We're, we're very glad though that further clinical trials are looking at these questions. Um, so if you're one of these patients out there who are progressing on EGFR or ALK um, and uh, your doctor is talking to you about chemotherapy, I strongly encourage you to ask whether or not there might be a clinical trial that's available. Because um, that's the only way that we're going to get things to move forward is by participate, having patients participate in clinical trials to answer these questions for us.
0: Thank you. Uh, thanks, Roz. Um, I know we're, we're coming up to the end of the hour. Um, so I'd just like to thank all, all of the panelists for, for your time and for people listening in. But, and I'm going to hand it back to Christina, who's got a few closing comments. <laughs>
4: Thank you, uh, Dr. Wheatley-Price. I'm going to thank our esteemed panel of experts who have uh, really graciously taken their time today, and and, and uh, some, like Dr. Wheatley-Price, who's, already, who's on vacation and is taking time to do yeah. this.
2: Dr. Reese is on vacation too. He's, uh, oh. am, I, am I right with
3: that, Jonathan? Oh, um, uh, I am I am not on vacation, but I, I am at home. So. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I... <laughs>
4: We thank you all for uh, taking your time to to do this, and we um, really appreciate all the uh, everyone who's joined us on this Friday afternoon. And I know there were many more questions that we did not get to, and we will try to answer them and look for them on our website. We um, we know that lung cancer is a very ex- exciting and evolving field with many more treatments than we've had in even in the last five years. So like us follow us on facebook uh, sign up for our mailing lists if you haven't yet so and you'll hear more about um, our initiatives in uh, the coming months and remember lung, november is lung cancer awareness month and we're planning many more exciting activities so thank you all for attending and uh, we wish you a very good day
0: thank you again for joining us thanks to our producer ryan mullen please send us your feedback like and follow us on facebook at lungcan on Twitter at LungCancer underscore Can and on Instagram at LungCancerCanada. For more information about lung cancer or to donate, volunteer or share your story, visit our webpage at LungCancerCanada.ca.